message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 4. To make sense of it, we have to read verse 3 as well, because there's some he's and him's, and you don't know who we're talking about if you haven't read the verse before it. Uh, So we're going to read Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4, and we're going to be thinking about verse 4 this morning. And um, this is one of those verses that has shaped my life. You know, there, there are just some verses, aren't there, in the Bible that God gives you revelation in, and they completely change your life. I love it when that happens. For all the preachers you hear, and all the times that you spend studying, and the tapes you listen to, and the videos you watch, occasionally God just goes, bam, understand this. And uh, this is one of those verses that's, that happened, and it shaped my life. So I love this verse. You've got away with it for six years. I've, I've not preached on this verse in the six years I've been here. You don't know how blessed you are, but... We're going to go for it now because I was given a free hand. Okay, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm pretty much... Obviously, apart from the fact I'm incredibly good-looking, I'm pretty much an average kind of guy. I've never stood out at anything uh, in my life. We we used to... uh, Our teachers at school... School was cruel when I was young. I don't know if it's changed. Uh, I suspect watching my children grow up, it's got much better. There are some great governors in schools these days. It's obviously improved. Uh, We used to be ranked in all our lessons. You know, all our marks were added up through the year. And at the end of the year, they told you where you'd come in class. You know, first, because you got the most marks of anybody. I was never first. Do you know what I mean? I never, just average kind of guy. When, we were at, when I was at primary school, we used to play football in the school playground at primary school. And basically, it was a game that lasted all week. You had to get there early on Monday to pick teams. And we basically kept the same teams and we played every break time and every lunchtime for the whole week. And at the end of the week, there was a winning and losing team. We used to pick teams like this. This doesn't happen in schools anymore. My kids have uh, uh, I've, I've watched them as they've grown up. We found better ways of choosing teams than we had discovered uh, when I was young. When I was young, what used to happen was the two best players in the school were the team captains. Best player was captain of team number one, second best player was captain of team number two. Everyone else in the school had to stand in a long line in front of them and they chose who they wanted to be in their team. This is heartbreaking. But the first player, the, the, the best player in the school, captain of team number one, he couldn't pick the second best player because he was captain of team number two. He'd look along the line and he'd find the third best player in the school. He said, I want you in my team. You're in my team. Guy had walked forward. Second best player in the school, he'd look along the line. First and third had gone. Fourth best player in the school, you're in my team. Out you come. Uh, basically, we knew the order, but you had to go through the process in case some kid was off sick. That was scary. If some kid was off sick, you might be in the other team this week. That was really strange. Anyway, you know, they're calling the people out. The people are coming out to the teams. The teams are getting bigger. The line is getting shorter. And at the end, there's just two kids left in the line. And I look at the guy next to me. 
with his crutches. And I'm thinking, why is this decision so hard? Maybe they want him in gold because he's got like extra reach. Oh, sympathy vote. This is my life. I left school at 18. Careers advice were really confused by that. Basically, when we were kids, you left at 16 or you went to university. You didn't leave after A-levels. That was unheard of. My, my A- I've got A-levels in English literature, modern European history, and economics. They didn't know what to say. They said, go work for a bank, which I absolutely hated. So I left. And my dad, who was a joiner, worked in construction all his life, and his dad was a joiner, and his granddad was a joiner. I never wanted to join construction I'm the least practical person you could hope to meet. Seriously, so many stories about how useless I am around the house. But my dad came and said, look, local authority, there's a job for a trainee surveyor. Be a job for life, be well paid. You can clock off at four o'clock, never think about work again. It'll be all right. And I thought, well, just to please him, I'll go for this job. So I applied. And they asked me for interview, which is bizarre when you think about it. And I got to this interview, I sat down this desk, there's a big bloke called Len sitting across the desk from me, who was a, he was quite an odd character. And uh, he said to me, when I've got everybody's applications in, I wrote down the names of every applicant in my order of preference based on their CV. You know, because there's a lot of guys in college studying construction who thought this might be quite a good job. Here's the list. This is my first interview. I'm 18 years old. I haven't really got a clue what's going on in the world. He lifts up this piece of paper, and there's names all the way down. He says, your name, and he very deliberately and very slowly goes down the list. He says, your name is, he gets about two-thirds of the way down. There. He said, I can't really understand why you've applied for this job, but I've interviewed everyone above you on the list, and I didn't like them. (laughs) And he offered me the job bizarre. So, I mean, even now, I'm haunted by this, even now. I can be standing at a bar in a pub, waving a £20 note in a barman's face. He still asks the bloke behind me, what can I get you to drink, sir? (laughs) So I read this verse, and I discover God chose us. He chose us. And he chose us before the creation of the world. He didn't choose us Because the people he really wanted had got something better to do, or they joined the other side, or he he finally met them and thought, nah, I don't think so. He chose us before the creation of the world, before any star was put in its place, before the earth was formed, before there was sea and dry land, before the sun was in the sky and the moon was lighting up the night. God chose us. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? Not because we're the best, because we're not. Not because we're good-looking or we wear fashionable clothes or we earn good money or our house is great or we're fun to be with. Absolutely not. He chose us, not because of any quality that we have, but out of his love for us. Have a look around you right now. Just look around you are the people that God has chosen. This is what Paul said to the church at Corinth. I want you to keep looking while I read this. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. 
I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Not many influential. Not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose the nobodies. Don't pull your punches, Paul. To expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear. None of you can get by with blowing your own trumpet before God. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace and faith, not by works. We haven't earned this. We weren't the best player in the line. He just chose us. God chose us. I do get chosen for things sometimes. Generally, if I'm walking along the pavement and there's someone with a clipboard, (laughs) I get chosen. When they were building Westfield and I had to go up, I had to go up every day to survey Westfield, there were always people standing there with clipboards. The The only strategy I could come up with was avoid eye contact. Avoid eye, just become obsessed with the shops. The escalator to JJB Sports. Why is there an escalator up and stairs down? It's fascinating. Tesco Metro. Look at the deals they've got on. Avoid eye contact. Avoid eye contact. Worked until I got to Ann Summers. Didn't know where to look then. (laughs) We've... (laughs) You shouldn't know where that shop is. (laughs) We've We've been chosen by God. The Almighty, Holy One of Israel. The Lord God. The one who placed the stars in the sky and named them and brings them out every night. The one who sees whole history spanning out before him. The one who stores the snow in the skies and holds the earth in the palm of his hand. The one who speaks and universe begins. He is the one who chose you. He is the one. And he chose you in Christ. When God chose you, he knew that it was, it, it needed the atoning, sacrificial death of Jesus. He knew it required that. That wasn't like plan B for God. It wasn't that he created everything and then one day he's walking in the garden and Adam's not there and he thinks, don't. Didn't see that coming. Do you ever get caught out by unexpected things? I was working with my dad once and something went terribly wrong and he shouted at me, it's plan B. I said, I didn't know there was a plan B. Dad, what's plan B? He said, Panic! It's like, no, God knew. God knew. He knew when he chose you that the Son was going to have to take on humanity, become a baby, be born into poverty, the illegitimate child of a young Jewish girl. He knew he was going to be a refugee. He knew he was going to suffer. He knew he was going to be beaten and whipped and mocked and nailed to a cross. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to be buried. He knew that there would be a separation between the Father and the Son 
that there had never been before and will never be again. He knew the agonizing cry of the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew there'd be a resurrection. He knew there'd be an ascension. He knew that there would be a man seated at his right hand in the heavenly realms. He knew that we would be united with Jesus every step of the way. In Ephesians, we are united with him in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. We are now seated in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We have received every spiritual blessing that there is to offer there. Right now, that's where you are. You are seated in heavenly realms. It's like the internet. It's here. You, can act, you can't see it or smell it or touch it, but you can access it. The heavenly realms right here. God is right here in this place. The kingdom is right here. The spirit is moving. We are seated in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. How amazing is this? Every blessing he has for us, we have already received. As we sit here, wow. I tell you, for some geeky kid with long hair and glasses in his teenage years, this verse changed me. God, almighty God, with all the options available to him, out of his love, chose us despite the cost, to be welcomed into his family and to be his children. And he even says, why? You see, the why question is quite a tricky one, isn't it? Most of the time we don't get answers to the why question. He tells us why he chose us. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, I think we can, get, we can get a bit distracted by God's motive. God's motivation in choosing us is that he loved us. Nothing to do with our abilities or our strengths or who we are. He loved us. That's his motivation. His purpose is to make us holy and blameless. Now, we had a couple of weeks ago when we had the new preacher's morning, Adam led worship. There was, there was a worship song and a couple of things that were said by those guys who did so well two weeks ago that really sparked this in me again. It just stirred this in me again. We were chosen to be holy and blameless. And James, I'm going to come back to Romans 8. You read from Romans 8, first few verses. This is another of those verses. I was reading a book called The Cross of Christ by John Stott. If you've never read it, it's abs- it is the best book on the cross you will ever read uh, in your lives. I was reading this book because I didn't understand Romans. I mean, I don't think I'm alone there. I think, I think Romans is a fairly tricky book. I don't understand lawyers at the best of times. And I do have to deal with them every now and then. Uh, I have done all my work in life. He's, he's, not only is he, uh, is he a legal-minded guy, he's a legal-minded guy operating in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago with a Jewish training. Our cultures don't collide on any level. And I'm thinking, what is Romans all about? It's weird. And then suddenly I read these verses in Romans 8. So Romans is Paul, Paul, what Paul is doing in Romans is he's, he's explaining the gospel in a really linear way. Okay, it's a bit complicated, is he? But wordy. I'll sum up the first seven chapters of Romans for you like this. Okay, he starts by saying, 
that God's righteousness and judgment is being revealed because people are sinful. And he says, it doesn't matter who you are in this world, you are sinful. If you've never heard the gospel, there's enough of God in creation for you to know about him and yet you've rejected him. If you hold yourself up as a moral person and you criticize other people for the things that they do wrong, you fall down by your own standards, you're sinful. If you're Jewish and you've received the law, you haven't kept it, you're sinful. This is chapters 1 and 2. Basically, you're washed out. Chapter 3 says there is a righteousness that comes from God, which is nothing to do with the law, but the law and the prophets testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In chapter 4, he says it's always been that way. Abraham believed God before the law was given, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In Romans 5, he says, this is our story. We died with Adam. We've been raised to life with Jesus. In chapter 6, he says, so we might as well keep on sinning then, so that grace may abound. Absolutely not. We've died to sin. We live for righteousness. In chapter 7, he says, so why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do and not do the things I do want to do? Who is going to rescue me from this body of death? Praise be to the Lord and God I've been set free. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law was powerless to do, and then it was weakened by our sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the law of sin and death, but according to the Spirit. This is God's purpose in our salvation, that in us, the Holy Spirit can live out the righteousness of God, all the righteous requirements of the law. Suddenly, the law that condemned us, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, becomes a promise fulfilled by the power of the Spirit. Because when you have received the Spirit, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You'll not steal. You'll not commit murder. You'll not commit adultery. Righteousness lives out through us, through the power of the Spirit, because we've been set free. That's why we're saved. Paul says in Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In his great verse on the cross, 1 Peter 2.24, Peter says, Jesus, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. That's the purpose of our salvation. That in our character, we become like him, that Jesus becomes the firstborn among many brothers. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives right now. His purpose is to make you more like Jesus. Now, we won't get there in this lifetime. We will get there when he appears. John assures us of that, doesn't he? When Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But right now, God's plan for you, God's purpose in your life, his desire, his work through the truth of the word and the power of the spirit is to make you more like Jesus. He doesn't want to change your personality. 
Personality and character are different things. He wants to change your character. He wants you to make, he wants you to be like him. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to be born again and filled with the Spirit. We accept, we want to be like him. Suddenly you read the Gospels and you, and you see Jesus interacting with people and you think, yeah, I want to be like him. <laughs> I want to be like him. It works out in relationship. That's why Jesus towers above any figure in history, in my opinion. At the very heart of God's being, there is an eternal, loving community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right at the heart of who God is, is relationship. See, I think it's very easy when we think about what does it mean to be like Jesus, it's very easy to jump to how we behave. Actually, we're missing a step out if we do that. Because how we behave comes from who we are. And it's our character that he works on. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It's our character. It's not do this and don't do that. That's who you are. So right at the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in all eternity there's relationship that he has chosen to draw us into. Because it's not a kind of introspective relationship. God is not obsessed with himself. His purpose has been to draw us in. So we're his children now. How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. He has drawn us in. Now, if we're to be like him, we're to build relationships like Jesus built relationships. Characterized by that love and grace and righteousness and mercy and justice that comes from God. They're the kinds of relationships he's looking for us to build. Actually, what he says about the church is, if you build relationships with one another the way that I build relationships, other people will get drawn in. This is how they'll know you're my disciples. You love one another. Is that easy? Hell no. (laughs) It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to build those kind of relationships. This is what James says about it. Again, I'm reading from the message. I can understand the message. He's talking about living well. Do you want to be counted wise? To build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live not the way you talk that counts. Mean-spirited ambition is not wisdom. Boasting that you are wise is not wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourselves sound wise isn't wisdom. That's the furthest thing from wisdom. That's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results 
only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honour. The Bible is nothing if not honest. It's hard work, isn't it? We've been married 25 years. I'm the hardest person there is to live with. The length of our marriage is a testimony to Mel's grace and forgiveness. I have had to show very little of that over the years. I'm not easy to love. Are you easy to love? I don't know many people that are easy to love. It's hard work. It's hard work. It needs the character of Jesus to endlessly forgive people. To show them mercy. To show them kindness they don't deserve. That's grace. That's hard work. It's hard work when people wind you up the wrong way. It's harder work when you live with them. It's not easy. The Bible doesn't say that building the church is easy. When Paul says in Ephesians, bear with one another in love, I sometimes think about my relationship with my parents. That's that's what it is to bear with one another in love. Put up with. Do the hard work. That's what we're called to. That doesn't happen on a Sunday morning or on a weeknight in life group. That's about relationship. So the first series I ever preached, you'll be interested to hear this, was Acts 2.42. The first series I ever preached um, a few years ago. And that's a fantastic description of the New Testament church in Jerusalem. And I love the things they did. The things they did together were important. They prayed. They broke bread. The apostles taught them. What it came out of was they were devoted to one another. They met every day in each other's homes and in the temple courts. They shared everything they had. They fed the poor. They fed the hungry. They clothed the naked. They sold their possessions. They gave the money. They did the hard work. It's been great having Caroline move to Ashbourne in the last few weeks. Mel and I have grown up in churches where you live very close to the people that you're in church with. And it's been quite strange living in Ashbourne and being in church in Derby. But... It's been great to have Caroline back and just rediscover, back there, rediscover that, oh, they're just around the corner. We can just pop round tonight. I had a problem at the weekend. We were away at the weekend. Uh, I had a problem arise with work. Caroline's got a key to our house. Ben went round our house, did some bits and pieces for me, helped me solve the problem out. Spent a couple of hours on Mercy's drum kit from what I understand, but there you go. That's home. When Caroline was on holiday, Mercy went round there and cut her grass. Day by day... (laughs) which blessed you. Day-by-day stuff. This is, what it, this is what this kind of relationship requires. The early church didn't just meet together once or twice a week. They had everything in common. They shared their lives. They ate in one another's homes. That's, that's, that's relationship. That's, kind of, that's my idea of community. That's my understanding of New Testament church. It's my understanding of the people of God in their families and their clans. It's what we want to build. It's what God wants to build. It's what the Holy Spirit is working on your character in order to be able to build. (laughs) Because without it, you can't build it. You can't do it. But his family is not solely inward looking. If it was, we wouldn't be part of it. God builds those relationships, not just with people who are easy to love, 
but with people who are really tough to love. In fact, Jesus is not that flattering about people who only build good relationships with people who are easy to love. What he says is, even evil people can do that. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We see with Jesus somebody who not only ate at the tables of the rich, but touched the lepers, spoke to prostitutes, befriended the outcast, welcomed the alien. Great video. Great video. Jesus knew what it was to be a refugee. The people of God have always known what it is to be a refugee. I see that crisis. I don't see a problem to be solved. I see people to be loved. I have been saddened and angered by some of the things my friends have put on Facebook about the refugee crisis. Yesterday, Mel and I signed up Homes for Good. My friends say there's no room in this country for refugees. I've got two empty beds in my house right now. People say we can't afford it. I tell you, compared to most of the world, we are incredibly wealthy. We can afford it. I think that's what Jesus would do. I think that's the kind of community that Jesus wants to build. For years in our lives, we kind of understood that, but we couldn't see how it worked. I have a theological conviction that God wants to reach out to the unlovely. That's why he reached out to me. But I haven't always known how to do it. And then some years ago, I met this amazing man called Carl Taylor, who lived his life with the poor. They lived in his home. He shared his life with them. And I thought, that's how you do it. I can see it now. I'm so grateful to those of you who give food every week or who directly support us financially to feed the hungry. It makes such a difference. It is such a blessing. Just love the look on people's faces this last week when we were able to take them food. They would never, ever be able to afford for themselves. Now listen, we're not all called to do that. We're not all called to do that. But it is in our hearts. And we can equip one another and support one another to do that. We can't all welcome refugees into our home, but we can do some things. I was so proud yesterday. I had a proud dad moment yesterday. I do get them quite a lot. I was on Facebook yesterday, and Peace had posted a link to a website just like those about how to help the refugees. And I thought, she could be so caught up in her own world right now. She still loves and cares for the poor. So proud of her for that. Mercy now plays, this is my proud dad bit, you know, just have to forgive me. She plays hockey for Ashbourne First Team. She's told them, first Saturday of the month, I'm at Smile. Because she loves those kids. That's what it takes. It takes hard work. takes God's character formed within us. But that's what he saved us for. Again, growing up, I, I was left with the impression from a lot of Christians that you got saved so that you could be in heaven. And life was kind of just something that happened in the meantime. That's not remotely close to the biblical picture of our salvation. Now, it may be that, that you've been on that train and somehow 
you're not on it now. Maybe life is just just drifting by. Maybe you know, yeah, I've experienced that power of the Spirit, living for God, being shaped by Him, and I'm not there now. That prophetic word we had earlier, well, you know, it doesn't take much to get back on board with God. We can do it real quick. <laughs> we just need to pray. Yeah, it's not that, it's not complicated. It's a big decision, I'm not saying it's easy. Big decision. But it's not hard once you've made the decision. God will welcome you back, just like that. That's his heart. Okay. I've said enough. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hand back to Graham, who can pick up the pieces. Father God, we are so amazed that you chose us to be your children. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to you that you paid the price that was needed for us to become children of God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for taking judgment upon yourself that we deserved. Thank you, Father, that you have united us with your Son, dying to the old way of life, being raised to a new way of life, filled with your Spirit, seated in heavenly realms, knowing what it is to increasingly become like you so that you may be glorified, your family might extend, your kingdom might grow, your will would come on this earth and be done just as it is in heaven. Father, we want to be on board with you. Whenever we've stepped off and just got lost in the busyness of life and forgotten the big eternal glory of our salvation. Father, forgive us. Bring us straight back on board. Holy Spirit, come right now, we pray in Jesus' name. So anyone who feels like I'm just walking down the tracks, I want to be on board. Holy Spirit, come. Fill them. Bring revelation. Bring equipping power. Bring your forgiveness and your mercy. Bring truth, we pray. Father, help us. Help us to build relationships the way that you do. Help us to become a church that shines out your love and your faithfulness and your glory through the relationships that we have with each other and those that we have into our, into our uh, communities around us. Lord God, help us make a difference in this city and in surrounding towns and across our continent. Lord, let there be stories in years to come in Libya and Egypt and Syria and Iraq about Christians in Derby who showed mercy and compassion that your name would be honoured in those places because we have made a difference because you challenged us today to live like Jesus. In his precious name, Father. Amen. Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday.